Hi, welcome to BCI CalChat. I'm Brad White, joined today by Dr. Bob Larson, Dr. Philip Lancaster, Dr. Dustin Pendell, and Dr. Brian Lubers. Good morning, guys. Good morning, Brad. Good morning. Good morning, Good morning, Brad. Happy to have you guys with us and happy to have you listening as well. We always enjoy a chance to interact with you and we've got a good listener question today. If you have a listener question or a topic you'd like us to talk about, you can always email us at bci at ksu.edu. And today we're going to talk a little bit about some of the meetings that have been coming kind of back online and go into some of those meetings, some of the things that we've learned as well as a, a little bit on the beef dairy cross and how the beef dairy cross have been kind of kind of coming up and be, being more prevalent in the industry. We'll also talk, we talked BRD last week, but we'll talk about AIP or atypical interstitial pneumonia and what does that look like? And we've got a listener question. Before we get into that, and, and guys, it's the holiday season. So I've got to ask you, kind of favorite Christmas movies, and I'm going to narrow the field a little bit because there really are some classics that you that you have to watch, but which is your favorite, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Elf, or Die Hard? <laughs> Die Hard. Uh, which, which of those three is your favorite? <laughs> Those are those are definitely Christmas classics. You, you're you know you're going to grab a lot of the audience with that. But I, I'm going to have to go. I don't know. It's I'm going to say Elf, and it makes me I'm I'm embarrassed to say so because it's he's such a goof. But that's why I kind of like it. So yeah, wait, Elf wait. is always on our house multiple times over Christmas. Uh, I do like to get into Die Hard though. Uh, so wait, I want to clarify. So Will, <laughs> Will Ferrell is a goof, but Randy Quaid is not. <laughs> yeah, there you go, Brian. Yeah. Bring, it, bring right. it back home. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Um, yeah, we watch all three at our house, but I, I'm a Christmas vacation guy. So. Yeah. Philip likes Die Hard, which I saw yeah. this year was listed in the TV thing. It's listed in the category of Christmas movies. Oh, it's right there it with be. those yeah. other three. So finally, we made a breakthrough in cultural changes. So one of the things before we get into our topics, uh, Dustin, we were talking and one of the reports that came out and talked about higher farm income predicted for 2021. And even as we go forward, I wanted to get your thoughts because that came out from the USDA. That sounds really positive. So, yeah, the uh, USDA Economic Research Service uh, came out with their 21 Farm, 2021 farm sector income forecast. Uh, I think want to say they have the net farm incomes expected to increase to 22 billion with the B, which is a 23% increase from 2020. Uh, and that includes animal products. I mean, milk, cattle and calves, hogs, broilers, turkeys, chickens, all of them are up. Uh, they're forecasting cattle and calves to be up by about 13.2% from a, a cash receipts standpoint. And so that's the good news. Uh, if you take a look at the, the report, we'll put that in the show notes for you. All expense categories are forecasted to rise during this same time. So feed expenses are supposed to go up 13%, poultry livestock purchases up 16%, fuel and oil, fertilizer, lime, soil conditioners, labor, interest expense, cash rent for pastures, all of them are supposed to go up as well. So that's, I guess, maybe some of the, the, the not so good news. So income is going to be up, but expenses are going to be up 
looks sounds like about <laughs> just as much. Yeah, unfortunately, they're both going to go up quite a bit. And but it sounds like yeah, you're right. They're both going to be up. Some will be up. Some expense categories will go up a little higher than others. But I think certainly a good time, and as as we roll into the new year here very soon, a good time to think about kind of planning out, are there any places that I can control those or manage some on the cost side? Because if income goes up and I can hold my expenses together, that would be that would be very good. And one of the ways we learn more about some of those different topics, and I, and I know you guys we get into December, January, there's, there's a fair bit of traveling around going to different meetings. There has been in years past. Last year was the aberration. This year recently went to the Kansas Livestock Association meeting, the Academy of Veterinary Consultants. Bob, you're very involved with that. I, I just think it is, it, it's refreshing to get back to where we can have some of those conversations, but also to be a part of some of those organizations. So I wanna ask you guys, what are the reasons that you're members of some of the national professional organizations that you're members of? That's a good question. Well, one thing is I, I'm always learning something. So I, and it's, you know, a lot of times there's speakers, there's continuing education, those types of things, but I learn a lot just at dinner, talking to people and, and, you know, asking what's going on in, in their part of the country or their part of the cattle business. So I learn a ton by going to these meetings and, and uh, I'm the old guy in the group and I'm certainly still learning. I'm going to second that, except I'm not the old guy in the group. Mm -hmm. uh, You're the kind of the young guy. Uh, you go just so you can network. You can talk to people. You listen. You hear what's going on in their part of the country and, and whatnot. So it's all about learning you know, and meeting up with some old friends as well. Yeah, same same here. I mean, the, the ones I'm involved with, um, uh, there's one that I, I don't get continuing, continuing education credits for it, but it's probably the best continuing education meeting I go to because um, we've got scientists from around the world and it's a small group, which I like, it's about 50 people. So um, you, you get a lot of that one-on-one, -on -one, but I, I learn a lot from, from other people. See, I think that's a, and those are great reasons, right? Those are the big ones that we think of. The other one that I thought of when I was in a meeting the other day is there are a lot of topics I think are important to me or the industry, but I don't want to spend a lot of time working on. And I'm glad that there are folks that work on the policy that kind of behind the scenes that impact us and actually do spend time thinking on that. So some of the organizations, whether it's your national or regional cattlemen's association uh, can certainly play a big difference. So I would encourage you take the time, get involved. If those things are in your interest area, it takes more than one person to keep those rolling forward. But one of the one of the topics that was discussed a lot, so the Academy of Veterinary Consultants is a group of veterinarians that gathers several times a year from different parts of the country. And a big chunk of the last meeting here in December was dedicated to beef on dairy cross because of the rising number of those animals that we're seeing in the feed yard. And there are some differences in feeding performance, feeding dynamics, uh, some of the different health aspects, as well as some of the different production aspects. I wanted to get thoughts from you guys. Uh, and, and I wanna start with, is this a flash in the pan? Is this something that's, that's gonna come and go and we don't need to worry about it? Or is this something that's here to stay? Well, I, I think it's definitely here to stay and it's really driven by a couple of new things that have come on new, relatively new. One is sexed semen. In other words, in the dairy industry, you know, uh, 
the, the female offspring have so much more value than a, than a male. Uh, basically, the bull calves from dairy mating uh, aren't particularly good feedlot steers, but we had half of the calves coming out of the dairy industry were bulls. Well, now that we've kind of got this sex semen figured out pretty well, and the dairy guys have really figured out how to use that. So they are using sex semen to pick or, or to breed for replacement heifers, replacement females. And so then that leaves, um, and, and so, you know, I, all of the heifer, almost all of the, of the cows that I breed with sexed semen are going to give me a heifer calf. So now that, that means that I can be a little more strategic with um, cows that I don't necessarily want to get replacement heifers from. They're not a good enough cow to get to, to extend their line, uh, but I need her to get pregnant. So she keeps lactating. And so I'll breed her to a beef bull, either AI or some guy's natural service, but mostly AI. And that calf, that crossbred calf is maybe not as good a feedlot performance or carcass as a 100% beef calf, but he's a whale of a lot better than a 100% dairy calf. And that, that crossbred beef dairy calf is, 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 an, is not going away. Now, I think I would, I would agree that it's, it's going to be here to stay the, because that crossbred beef dairy bull calf has a whole lot more value and dairies are consistently in financial straits. And so this is a big income boost for them to have that half of that calf crop be probably double in value uh, to, to bring income into the, the dairy operation. And I know I've, I've seen a couple presentations where some of the beef breed associations are working on um, indexes and and using their EPDs to, to target and find bulls that best match up with dairy genetics to cre create the best cross that they can. Yeah, that's an interesting thought because the, the best bull to breed to my beef cows may be different than the best bull to best beef bull to breed to dairy cows. And so it opens up a whole nother you know, set of criteria of what, what makes the best dairy or beef on dairy type of a bull. And, and I think we're just, now that's part that's, I think we're still learning uh, about how best to, to figure that out. And so maybe even get better performances as we move into the future. And, and I think, I think the other thing where we probably still have a little, we have some learning to do is, is managing those calves early, right? Because they're not true beef calves that are still nursing on mom in pasture. Um, and so when you think about the resources that a dairy puts into managing hutch calves, we really want to spend those resources on the heifers because it, from the dairy's perspective, because that's, that's the next lactating cow. And so how do we, how do we kind of manage those uh, crossbred, those beef dairy cross calves early um, and get the value out of them for, for the dairy, but then allow us to maybe, focus more resources on those early calf heifers, which provide even more value back to the dairy. So I think, I think there's some things we have to learn there about the beef dairy crosses um, where we can maximize some value out of those as well. I think you guys are right. It's, it's here to stay. It's going to be one of the things that we see there are some changes and there's some ramifications, right? Because as you change and you bring more of those cattle into the feed yard, does that change the capacities or the feeding time that some of those yards, because they may stay there a little bit longer and there are some health differences. So we'll keep updating. 
on that topic as more information comes comes about, but certainly something to keep an eye on. I wanted to follow up, Brian, we talked last week and we, and we talked uh, about BRD and we talked about bovine respiratory disease or pneumonia and how we may see those calves, they may be a little bit off. There's a, a less frequent, and I won't say it's a version because it's a little bit different, but there's something called atypical interstitial pneumonia, a, or often called AIP. And this is where uh, it, it has a little bit different presentation. Maybe tell us about that, Brian. Yeah, so, so AIP is, is a, it's a disease that affects the respiratory system. So it's a respiratory disease, right? But it's not what we typically consider the, the classic respiratory disease, shipping fever. Um, and one of the biggest challenges with AIP is we don't really know what causes it. Um, and so it, it is a, it, it's a different form. And this is, we talked last time about the importance of doing a necropsy of anything that, that does die. Th this is one of those reasons, right? Because we want to distinguish, is it, the classic BRD versus an AIP, which is which would be a really unusual presentation at the cow calf level. Um, there are some there are some feeding things that we can get into that cause AIP like disease um, at that level, but typically a, a true a an, an acute interstitial pneumonia um, would be a presentation that we would see in the feedlot, um, usually at the end of feeding. So. It, it's not something I would expect to see at the cow-calf level, but if you see it, it's certainly important to, to distinguish it from the classic BRD because uh, we can manage the classic BRD, like you said, with AIP. We, we really don't know what causes it, so it's, it's more difficult to manage. And, well, and I think there are maybe even more than not just knowing. There are some causes relative to certain toxins that can, that can occur that may look at, may make it look a little bit different. And I think your point of, we probably want a necropsy, necropsy or do an autopsy, look at the lungs, especially if it doesn't come as expected, right? If you see a pneumonia that's, you're like, well, that's weird. He wasn't sick yesterday and he's sick today and he didn't respond to treatment, maybe worth taking a look. The difference in these lungs, if we think of it on the lung level, with typical respiratory disease, we have some consolidation or some collapsing of those lungs with atypical interstitial pneumonia or AIP, those airways in the lungs constrict and the air can't leave, right? They're, they're having to really force that breath out. So I think certainly something to keep keep an eye on. Bob, look like you started to say something. Yeah, I was just saying that, that I can tell the difference on necropsy because like I said, uh, typical pneumonia lung is gonna get thicker and harder Whereas uh, these AIP type lungs actually are spongier and they're, they're big. In fact, they're overinflated. And so they look really different, but I may not be able to tell that difference when the calf is still alive. Uh, and because those are different enough diseases, that's, that's the reason to do a necropsy. Yeah, I think, that may, I think that makes good sense, Bob. So certainly something to keep an eye on would, would be sporadic. As Brian mentioned, often we see that, we see that more frequently in the feed yard. Still BRD is number one. But I think it goes back to one of the things we've talked about before. If it, if it looks like the most common disease, but it doesn't respond to treatment like the most common disease, hey, maybe I need to investigate. Maybe I need to look a little bit further and dig below the surface, see what else is going on. So I wanted to save some time and we, we had some time and Dustin, this is right up your alley. This was a great listener question. 
and, and I think many of us can relate. Uh, the, the question is essentially, a uh, person has a job in town, has some cows, enjoys having cows, and is thinking about how could I expand and make my make my career out of cows and what are the areas I'd look. The other piece to the story is they, they mentioned that formerly there was a dairy, formerly had a dairy, now job in town. So maybe has some facilities there or not, but Dustin, what are your thoughts? <laughs> this is, a, there's a lot packed into this question here, huh? Uh, yeah. So yeah, there's a lot. so you say they're on a dairy. So do they currently have land, or are they like are they a beginner where they're going to have to go rent land? Uh, and that's you know a beginning farmer, if you will. Uh, that is one issue. We can set that aside and talk about that. We could do a whole podcast on that. You say they're currently working in town, off farm. You know, there's what four weeks ago, three weeks ago, four weeks ago. Now we talked on a podcast where we showed a figure of the net returns over variable costs in cow-calf operations here in Kansas. And we showed the same thing for total costs. And if you recall, there was, if you look at all, if you include all the costs, depreciation, uh, all those fixed expenses, there's only six years out of 46. So over the last 46 years, only six of those years actually had a net, a positive net profit. And so, you know, I, but, but labor was included of, in that, right? So, so if you pay your if you pay yourself, you, you, you can pay create yourself, your own job. Yeah. You own your job. And I assume though that that individual probably has bills that he has to pay. Maybe a family, right? You got to support. So, you'd like to think you don't work for free, uh, right? There, there are going to be living expenses. So, you think about the standard of living that would come into play. Uh, I'm a very risk averse individual. So for me, giving up a, 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 a job in town to take on a pretty big risk, if you recall those figures year to year, those numbers would go up by a lot or go down by a lot. And so the variability, uh, I mean, you got you to gotta understand risk and understand risk management would be a huge factor there too. You know, are there going to be, I mean, so there's a lot of things to think through, you know, health insurance, I mean, all those kinds of things I think would go through one's mind uh, as they do that. One thing that we have found and noticed is, on a, you know, the larger you are, generally those in operations uh, are able to spread those fixed costs out across the, the, the herd. Uh, and it's not always true, but generally speaking, the more profitable operations are your larger operations. And so, I don't know this individual situation, how much land he has, or how much land he can get, have access to, uh, but thinking about the size of herds. Or maybe another option would be, is there some other kind of alternate, you know, operation enterprise that they could do as well? Because we you do know, see I, a lot of producers that do that. You know, when I think about some of the, the young families that basically grew into a, an ag career, one, one thing, and, and he kind of implied this, is it took a little bit of time. Uh, for, for, there's different, I hate to say there's, there is obviously no one way to do things. Uh, but I saw a number of young families that kind of grew into their operation over time. In other words, they kept their, their job in town as they were growing. Um, and, and then maybe they started with stocker cattle or something like that, which has a little quicker turnaround on, on income generation versus cows, where you invest in cows and 
you've got a longer time frame before the, the first check comes and things like that. So I saw them grow into that over time. Now they're kind of, it. one of my observations was there comes a tipping point where that worked fine at the beginning when they didn't have that many cattle and still had their job in town. But as they grew their farming operation, then there, there came a tipping point where I've, I've got a full-time job uh, in town and I've got a full-time job with the cattle. And then what I saw was people basically at that point chose one or the other. And that was maybe a personal decision, maybe, you know, economics and family and a lot of other things that get tied in there. But they grew for a number of years. And then before they jumped off to becoming, you know, full time on their ag side or cattle side, um, they, they kind of grew up to that point and then made a decision. And one way you get there is is just as you're describing, Bob, it's, it's kind of that gradual growth, but it's similar to the concept of compounding interest, right? If I continue to reinvest in the ranch or reinvest in the farm or make some positive changes, at some point, it could grow big enough. But Dustin's, what Dustin's saying is economy of scale is a, is a real issue. Brian, what do you think? Yeah, I and, and I think Bob, I'll kind of echo what Bob said. I think, you know, the, the transition period is the hard part, right? Because you're, um, and, and in, I don't have a lot of specifics about what kind of cattle industry they want to get into, you know, cow calf is really seasonal. And so having a, a, a I'll say full-time or a, the job in town where it fills those kind of downtimes in cow calf, at least initially as you're transitioning. So keeping that job, as you get the cow calf herd started, probably provides a lot more security. I'm like Dustin, I'm pretty risk averse. So I, that would seem like a better path for me. Um, but you know, the other, if this is really something that this person is passionate about and they have the resources to jump in with some scale to help with the economy, maybe that is the best path forward for them. Um, if they have, they did mention a dairy farm, you know, if they still have those facilities, maybe that lends to more of a stocker type operation that, as you mentioned, you can jump in a little more, a little deeper into the pool um, and have a quicker turnaround time with, with less risk. So, I think the basic question they have to answer is what lifestyle do I want to live and how much risk am I willing to take on to do that? And if you answer those two questions, then you can probably figure out the rest. So one of the things you're implying there, Brian, and I think is accurate is my inputs on a cow-calf operation are going to be pretty seasonal, both labor and resource. And my return is going to be very seasonal, right? One, maybe even one time a year. Whereas on a stocker operation, I get a smaller return, but I'm going to have pretty continuous inputs. If, I, if I'm doing grazing, it may be different than if I'm doing dry lot as a backgrounder, but I could, it could have a little bit of both there, but I get a little return several times and both have risks that, that go with them. So I think you guys have given some good input here. And, and I guess I'd go back to, we talked several episodes ago now relative to a having a business plan, right? Having a specific plan and drawing it out. And this may be one of those things, you make a spreadsheet and you scratch it out and start over a couple of times just to, just to make sure that you can get it right and try it on a small scale and say, what, boy, these are the things I like. These are the things I don't like. And if you're gonna create your own job from scratch, make it something you like, <laughs> make it something you enjoy doing, whether that's stalkers or cows or whichever one it was. So we certainly appreciate you guys joining us. Appreciate you staying with us today. Hope everybody, you and your family have the best holiday season that you can. 
enjoy some of that time. We spend a lot of time talking about work and cows on here, but also be sure that you enjoy the time that you get at home and to spend with your family. Our family will be thinking about you and yours this holiday season, hope for the best. Uh, if, as always, if you have questions, thoughts, anything you'd like us to talk about on a future episode, you can send us an email at bci at ksu.edu.